Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello, and this is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. What you just heard was Fritz Chrysler on the violin right there. Uh, I got questioned by our audience, half-jokingly, because a lot of our guys will make jokes about we're not just old people on the lawn yelling at the clouds like uh, Grandpa Simpson, and asked if we had any culture outside of baseball. So I decided to share with them my favorite violinist, who happens to be... Ironically, I found this out too, reading the book, Ty Cobb, A Terrible Beauty. It's Ty Cobb's favorite violinist also. And if all you guys that are old enough to have watched Tom and Jerry, you'll recognize if you ever listen to Fritz Chrysler, a lot of those, a lot of that music in the background was his violin music. So um, great, great little tune there, a little culture for the hot corner. And we've been playing that all week for our audience. So hopefully people go out and buy a little violin music over the weekend. Um, in South Carolina, it's tax-free weekend with back to school. So those states that are tax-free, get out there and take advantage of it without question. But episode 242 now, Sal, and great following, pushing that 72 countries. We I think we hit Cuba today. We had Victor Mesa Jr. on one of our shows, and he guaranteed us listeners in Cuba. So I'm excited about that. We'll go up to 73 countries. And uh, our followers are through the roof. Um, and our next day, set of our to our program will... We'll begin in the upcoming week where we reward our audience uh, with staying ad-free and membership-free, but they'll get rewarded through our affiliates, and then our hosts will start getting rewarded for doing the great work they do. So we appreciate the things you bring to the table, Sal. A lot of great compliments with you. I'm not the only one who learns new words every week, SAT words. A lot of our audience just, the, first, the one of the very first things they say, and, and this should make you feel great, is they say, Sal's podcast is smart. Wow. So, Love it. Yeah. And it's not, it's and not in total. It's no, it's not a relative of mine and there are no relatives of yours, Sal. These are no. independent people, not solicited. Just, uh, I mean, the common denominator is Sal's podcast is smart. So, well, that's great. And, um, uh, I think, um, it kind of makes us feel good because we try to gear this up a little bit and try to get a little more depth into what we speak about. And I think that's a good reflection of um of what we've been trying to do so that's great yeah and we have been flagged a few times if, if i hadn't told you did i, t- did I share that yeah, with you? no that's even better i mean we're in good company once once you know you're flagged that's great i don't know if i passed this quote on to you uh, i think i did i think that was again it was the uh, the quote we used a few weeks ago that was uh, quite highbrow and it kind of set the bar for us where um basically the quote it went along the lines of when you're um taking the opposite side of the experts, you're kind of in good company type of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's that's a great place to be in. And I think we're going to continue on that theme today with some of the things we're speaking about. Yeah, but it, here it is. It's da- it's, it is dangerous to be right in matters on which the established authorities are wrong. That's Voltaire. So I think that that's worth repeating in light of uh, the fact that we've gotten flagged and uh, – and that's kind of a badge of honor as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad too. Uh, we're hitting on topics that obviously, uh, you know, they may, it may threaten people, but all it is, uh, like I say, we have no time for the, the uncomfortable lies that are being told out there. Um, you know, so we're going to hit it with the, with the truth. So, I mean, if we're going to be flagged for saying things like uh, not one healthy child died from COVID and yet, Thousands have been ruined and have uh, and some have died. Many have died from the vaccine, and that that's a good that's a good thing. And I think again, it's a great illustration of that quote we just read. You know what? And and speaking of quotes, I have a great quote. I don't think I sent this to you, but I will after we uh, after I read it. So I've gone down the rabbit hole many times over the last several years with different subjects, and one of the latest endeavors is this um there was a show on netflix called ancient apocalypse and it's this he's a journalist he's really not a scientist and he has investigated the real path that civilization has taken and there's this uh pretty substantial body of evidence that's uh, been around since the 90s and it's amazing to think about it when you you're looking at these stories that it's not more popular that that totally challenges the the timeline of our civilization and with advances we have in understanding the the sky and how the constellations and, and how that the the vision and the visual field of our 
of our horizon and the sky at night changes and combined with some forensic testing they could do on stone and other material just to cut to the chase there's a huge divergence in what is the established accepted mainstream thought on when civilization begun which was 4500 5500 years ago to probably double that based on some findings in Egypt findings in other places that illustrate or indicate there was an advanced civilization that preceded the last ice age and somehow people survived and passed that on and it's it's again we people have been conditioned to take any information that challenges the status quo and immediately look at it with the jaundiced eye and almost think of you as a tin hat a tin foil hat wearing person so i think what we look at this example of of how the gatekeepers of, of information in every field are afraid of any challenges to their authority. And we've touched on this. So the guy's name is Graham Hick, Hancock. He appeared on, he's appeared regularly on the Rogan podcast. Actually, that's how I found out about this whole the school of thought. But I'm going to read this quote, and I think it, it, it really is something to both give us comfort and give people like a people like us comfort who are challenging things and to put in perspective what's going on. So here, here's the quote. It's changing a paradigm is no easy business. When a particular mindset has become the preoccupation of a group of scholars in a particular field, they are so reluctant to let go of it, they become existentially attached to it. And an attack on the paradigm becomes an attack on them and they vigorously defend it. And I think that really sums up a lot of what we're seeing and is evidenced by being flagged by social media, be taken off by social media. You know, we just had stories about what Facebook had done at the request of the White House to pull people off. We have other journalists suing the White House uh, based on their being banished from social media. So I think that's a great quote to uh, keep in mind. Uh, I'll send it to you so you can have it. And I think it's worth publishing and people really kind of reading and taking it to heart. Yeah. You know, you know, whose mindset operates that way when, when their paradigm is threatened and they, they attack it as if it's, you know, death almost is that that's the definition of what happens when you're in a cult, if you're in, or indoctrinated, that's how they would respond yeah. to that type of situation. And, so. and not to be overly dramatic, but Look at what's happening. You know, we don't even have to go to the serious uh, life and death issues that you can apply that to very simply. Look at, I was thinking about this today. Look at what's going on in Major League Baseball. We have teams, not to name any teams, the Yankees, who follow this path and don't change it. And they have le- they have nothing but wreckage in their wake of player injuries, horrendous personnel decisions, and they just go on like there's nothing wrong with what they've done and it's just part of the drill and it's another bump in the road when they're really a testament to failure they're not really any any kind of standard by which anyone should to judge themselves the the whole nonsense with the championships it's almost embarrassing to to constantly wave that in people's faces when they've won really one thing in the last of consequence in 20 years yeah, so they won, 14 years ago they won a world series yeah. one so, and that, I guess that coincides with the, the current GM and his regime. So it's not, so anyway, anyway, it just points out how much we're seeing this in our midst and how people just accept it. And we could shift gears and talk about the, the, the vaccination issue or more something more close to what our subject matter has been this anti-obesity medication. You know, that there's there's ample evidence to challenge all these things that are going on and yet no one's challenging it. And it's just continuing on like normal. Yeah. And it's, it's starting to ramp up again. And I think one of the concepts you wanted to address was, you know, what you just kind of touched on treating symptoms over causes. And this, this could be in our healthcare, this could be in sports and training, whichever direction you want to take it. Or, um, you know, what we, you just mentioned the, the COVID stuff, treating symptoms over causes and, and chasing that, whatever that carrot is, that goal, instead of paying attention to the process for the most part and seeing what's really happening and, and addressing that. So I'll kind of let, I'll let you kind of 
flow whatever direction you want to go with all those. And, well, uh, I just I think we rather than con- consistently or constantly beating a dead horse, if you want to use that analogy, I think we just have to constantly bring up new uh, examples about or that support our position. And I'm going to bring up this one about this week. There was a story about Eli Lilly comes out and makes this big pronouncement that their obesity drug helped boost weight loss uh, in their late stage trials. And and it's really bombast. And this article, which is the one I read, was on CNBC. There's no critical analysis of this article. This is written, and it's obviously why, because the pharmaceutical industry pumps all this money into the advertising for all these cable networks and all these other media outlets that they're be- they become a PR arm of these drug companies. And there's no critical... Again, there's no critical view of this comment and this act, action by Eli Lilly. They're, they're taking credit and promoting their own results of their own trials, which we have no details about. And the whole goal of this is to get as many people as possible on their drugs. And, you know, you could say, oh, again, you're being hyperbolic. You're being conspiracy, uh, a conspiracy theorist. You're wearing a tinfoil hat. But... At the end of the day, when you look at the evidence, it's hard to turn away from that point. And and keeping with that, you look at the fact that a bunch of lawmakers have forwarded this bill in Congress, which would re- require Medicaid to cover weight loss drugs, uh, which is astronomical an astronomical cost. Already, you know, already. If they determine that if all older obese adults on Medicare took these drugs, the cost would exceed the total spent on Medicare's Part D drug program, which is almost $150 billion, was almost $150 billion a few years ago. So you're already talking about just paying for these drugs will outstrip the budget of the whole Part D of the Medicaid uh, Medicare program from a few years ago. And and then hand in hand with that, you have uh, the senior vice president of product development for Eli Lilly coming out and saying the findings of this trial reinforce that obesity should be regarded like other chronic diseases where chronic therapy may be needed to maintain treatment benefits. So that's now expanding that definition from the Medicare population to everybody, which if it's a, if it's 150 billion for the Medicare population, what is it going to be for the general population? And when they've constantly reclassified what obesity is, and again, this is a uh, a condition that can be treated for free with diet and exercise. But, you know, they could 26 percent loss, 30% loss, 12% loss. They could throw all these percentages at you and put it in the context of other drugs. But at the bottom line, or at at the, but the bottom line is that is at such a cost to the system, to us, when the real remedy is free. And again, we're talking about addressing the symptom, not the cause. And, and and we're continually going that deeper, deeper down this hole and no one's going to get better. No need, need for a paradigm shift. I, I refer to that as the bigotry of low expectations. We keep taking a certain faction of the population. We keep lowering the bar. We find incentive to keep, keep them there in that state, whether it's a physical state or a financial state. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me why people don't fight back. And say, I, 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 you know, government help, don't want it. it doesn't, it's, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? Government help, you, you start yeah. running away. And it's, well, again, it goes back to that quote that, you know, you know, your democracy is in trouble when people have been convinced to vote against their self-interest. And to, to, to stand for this doping of America in light of what we've seen in the last several years, but starting with the opioid crisis where doctors, your, your doctor lied to you. If your doctor prescribed an opioid to you, those new generation of opioids, thanks to the Sacklers and company, if your doctor prescribed that to you, 
he lied and he did something that was damaging to your health. You know, first do no harm, something like that is the is the quote you always hear. Well, they they harmed you and the, the trust was lost then. You could blame the drug companies all you want, but the bottom line is the gatekeeper was the doctor who prescribed it for you. So oh, yeah, it's a business. And, They're making money off it. And we're listening to the same people. It's the same broken system that we we've talked about for the last six months. It's the same broken system following the same script and people are following along without any uh, resistance. And the sad thing is you read these articles and they have quotes. There's a quote from this one article from a 60 year old person that makes it sound like they're powerless to do anything for their obesity. Now they've been conditioned to think this. We've got now a generate two generations plus of people who have forgotten how to feed themselves. So really what you, again, it's another assault on an institution, the institution of how families and individuals knew how to feed themselves now is, is shot. We don't know, people don't know how to feed themselves to the point where they're going to, they're going to rely on some medication to help them lose weight. And they're going to be told that the fact that they can't handle and manage their diet is now that's a disease. So the gaslighting continues and it, the, the people are the losers. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I do our best to try to eat healthy and live a healthy lifestyle. And I had a a paradigm shift the other day as we're watching, you know, ridiculous grocery prices go up. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I was pissed about it before. And, but my, my phrase I always use when people say they're mad, I'm like, not mad enough to do something about it though. You haven't hit your breaking point. So I finally just said the other, I was like, why are we not growing all the food we have instead of being lazy, going down the store and getting it? So we, we started a big push with that a couple months ago and at our house and we're going to continue to, we got our neighbors involved with it too and say, why do you grow these four things? We'll grow these four and just kind of start a community, almost like people have community gardens, but a little less formal and we'll just, you know, take care of each other and, and do it that way. It's uh, I mean, find a cattle farmer. You got to find a local cattle farmer because you're, I think you're going to see if this continues and we've got already things put in place to remove your freedoms to, to eat and treat yourself the way you want to, you're going to have local zoning ordinances preventing that kind of garden. I'm, you, you know, you laugh at that, but I don't know what anybody has seen to think that that wouldn't be something put in place in these states that don't let people run their own lives and think that they somehow are better at it than you are. So that people are going to have to be ready to really fight back because that's the first step, but you're going to have, you're going to have some meet, uh, some busybody legislate that you can't have a food production garden and they'll use some health and safety, just like they're doing with raw milk. They're using the excuse that raw milk is unsafe to prevent people from being able to get it in most of the country. And, there's really, you know, certain, there's a school of thought that says, you know, whole milk treated, uh, I'm sorry, raw milk treated properly. In other words, care, uh, handled properly is n- no risk. It's the fact that people are choosing not to put preservatives in their body with that. And that is being removed from them. You know, that is being taken away. You now are going to have to, just like they want you to take certain untested, vaccines they want you to eat and consume however you get it in your system these processed foods that the what do you call it the um i'm I'm at a loss for word that the um, effects on your body are not known and and so it goes and every day every week one more thing gets taken away and it's it's not going to turn around unless there's a big push otherwise yeah we uh, we took that in consideration, what you said about gardening, where in the traditional, we look in a yard and you see there's a garden there. So we, we adopted a philosophy when we, maybe somebody else coined it, but we stole it, but called gorilla gardening. So we have our foods and whatnot intertwined within the yard where it doesn't look like a traditional garden grown in areas where you wouldn't necessarily uh, do it. So some, some, some neighbors better than others right now, but well, that's good. For the most part, we, uh, we took pride in hiding the, and, and you know, and it sounds, sounds crazy to do, but anticipating what you just said that at some point in time, there's going to be a local ordinance against or state ordinance against such 
things in your yard, um, which is silly, but, um, you know, such is our world right now. We got to battle back. Yep. That's correct. And, and, you know, at the same time, they're pushing all these drugs. There's stories coming out now that there are not only are there side effects and people are complaining about certain things, uh, in, in, as a result of taking these drugs, but now there's lawsuits and doctors are coming out. And I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The, the drug company Novo Nordisk was commenting on their concern over these drugs being prescribed for everybody and, and it might not be great for everybody. And there was a bunch of side effects that they were concerned with. They have this paralyzed stomach syndrome now they're worried about for people. So uh, it, it's just crazy. And, and it's just crazy how we keep going down this rabbit hole because of the money that's being pumped into our system by these drug companies. You cannot watch a, a sporting event or almost anything on television, broadcast, cable, whatever the channel is, without, or listen to some radio, listen to some local radio, try not to hear a, a, a drug company commercial. So I got to thinking, Dave, you know, you, you, you look at some of these substances that were given as an option, uh, as a treatment option. And you see these commercials all the time and they always promote, you know, what it does for you. But at the same time, they mentioned some of the side effects, but if you go and visit the websites of these articles, you get a lot more depth into the possible side effects and the, the safety information that they provide. Now, if they had to provide all the safety information on the commercials, you'd never get to anything but that. But it's just interesting to me, there are so many medications that are available that have so many drastic and dire side effects. And a lot of those are drugs, a lot of those drugs are for the types of things that can be changed with simple matter of improving your habits. And these obesity type 2 diabetes drugs are the top one of the list there. Those drugs are not necessary for you to be healthy. You could twist yourself into a logical pretzel any way you want to, to try to justify it. But at the end of the day, the side effects that come from those drugs, the money spent for you to take those drugs, whether you're paying for it, the general you in quotes, or your insurance company or your coupon, though someone else is paying for that. Someplace someone's paying for that. If you, that's a, that is a losing proposition because eventually it's going to, that, that's the system is going to collapse. So it's, it's one thing when you're taking a drug that is alleviating a serious condition. And the one I looked up because it's, oh, you always see it on TV. It's this Skyrizi, which is for um, moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. And that's a pretty lousy condition. And uh, you could get psoriatic arthritis, which is actually arthritis that is related to this uh, Skin people will just think of it as a skin condition, but there's such a thing as psoriatic arthritis. If you haven't known somebody who's had it, it's it's a it's a real bitch, and it's quite painful, and it can be debilitating, and it it's unpleasant and makes you uncomfortable in, in a variety of ways. And it's also used for moderate to severe Crohn's disease, which is another you know lousy condition to to truly have. So I can understand that in some cases you're picking your poison, so to speak. But uh, the these other drugs, you, you really have to question a person's mental state that they're they're so unwilling to make some very basic changes and, and be willing to just totally give up on their ability to control their life to take these drugs when there's so many better options out there. Yeah, they, well, they, they've been indoctrinated for a long time. I think the, the touch points that you always, that we kind of, you hit on directly and indirectly every week is, you know, at the center of all this stuff, you've got policy, which is government. You've got higher ed. You have, uh, you know, marketing out there and I guess call it media for a lot. I don't know. I don't know if it's old yeah. school media like we remember. And, um, you know, and, and, and they kind of surround this little four legged table. And that's what that's what's encompass these people's minds since birth you know they, they have no filter anymore and it's what they know what they learn it's, it's crammed in their heads every day so they need they need a shock to the system and you know we do our best here on your show to to bring that stuff to light 
but they've got to start questioning things themselves. It's, you know, I think we're all about quotes today with stuff, but um, I always tell this to the groups I'm coaching. They're always sometimes when they stand around waiting for somebody else to do it for them. I said, we're, we're, we are the leaders we've been waiting for. We're the leaders we've been waiting for. Don't sit around and wait for somebody else. Um, So I think your message is if, if applied by people listening, Take what, he, what Sal's saying, uh, do your own research, draw your own opinions, but actually have an opinion. And, um, you know, when you when you have one, now go do something about it because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. And and people, everyone's a salesman. It's all about money. Just, you know, that's a it's a hackneyed, cliched phrase, follow the money. But it's unfortunately all too true. And you kind of get the feeling at some point that you're almost powerless to make a change to your decisions and, and really truly do what you want to do there. You're, you're locked into so many things because of legislation and or edicts by unelected bureaucrats that your ability to really make your own decision is, is, like I said before, every day it seems like it's being minimized bit by bit by bit. Yeah. Now, how, how does this concept of chasing, and I know we, we, we have our audience kind of knows, but segueing into how does the concept of chasing the results, wrong results, uh, wrong direction instead of process, how does that apply to, to, to kind of our world of sports and training now? Well, I think a great example is something we've talked about, I think, since we started the podcast with in, in baseball. But it, let's look at all the sports that we see. They have these measurables that everybody wants to attain. And let's look at basketball. You have vertical jump. Baseball, you have velocity. And football and other field sports. But let's stick with the big three. You have 40 time. And in baseball, but baseball is the... I think the most obvious example, because you have people chasing this velocity. So your goal is to throw 95, 95 plus, whatever now, Dave, you would know better than I. But where is the concept of the process where, well, you know what? Maybe there's other things to pitching than throwing 95. And and we've heard this. I I was shocked to hear CC Sabathia after he had his arm injury to say he had to learn how to pitch. Now there's a guy who I always thought was a pretty crafty guy, but there's a guy himself admitting he relied on his natural ability and just throwing the ball instead of being a pitcher, which I grew up with. And I know people say, Oh, you know, the old days you walk to school five miles in the snow, blah, blah, blah. Things were so hard, but it's kind of undeniable. You look at the statistics of the great pitchers of, that era up until I would say the late 80s into the 90s, guys who started their career 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and pitched through that. Look at what they accomplished. No one's even sniffing some of those accomplishments in the t- in, in today's era. So there's something to be said for they're not really doing things the, the way that could be done and make things much better. But there's a great example of, again, the chasing the goal, the 40 time. There, there's nobody I know that does what I do and works with kids that sits down and, and will tell the parent, your kid maybe won't run a 4-4 or a 4-5. Your kid is not going to necessarily throw 95, but that doesn't mean he can't be a very successful pitcher. And and the same thing with the vertical jump. You, you're not vertical jump is probably one of those things that's the driver of all the other athleticism. You could have an argument of 40 time, but for 40 time now has become such a skill with between the start and the other nonsense and running in a straight line and the things you need to do versus just like ripping it and jumping and, and, and seeing how high you could go. Again, there's not that there's not some skill in that, but that's one of the things that if you took a hundred people in a room and, best vertical jump is probably going to be the best athlete. It's so hard to get into that upper range where you're really making a difference that goes beyond your natural genetic ceiling, but no one's telling anybody that. Yeah. A lot of those are arbitrary. You kind of touch on the miles per hour, which, which interesting. And this is kind of a, an enigma wrapped in a riddle. So miles per hour on fastballs has increased over, over the last, you know, five, six years. 
And it's increased in part because they've decided to start measuring miles per hour out of the hand of the pitcher as opposed to over home plate, how it used to be. So guys' velocity is going to increase without getting any faster or better. And this is a point that you bring out in all the things we talk about, that they adjusted the measurement to fit the work that they're trying to promote and make money on it, whether it's these driveline experiences or any, anybody that's on YouTube doing the chasing velocity thing. So guys didn't, guys are throwing harder in part because of where they're measuring it, um, measuring the miles per hour out of. So of course they're going to prove their own theory by doing that. And that's, that's part of the, the conundrum, I guess. And it just, it, it, in their mind, I guess it justifies the, I guess the abuse they're doing to pitchers right now that see they're throwing harder, but I know they're getting hurt, but they're throwing harder. Um, it's, it's a travesty. And then the problem is just like you talked about the, you know, the obesity and whatnot, people are not questioning it. They're not challenging it enough. Um, they're just accepting it as, okay, we're throwing harder because these parents that are paying money for it, they want to believe their kids are throwing harder. They want to believe they throw 94 when they really throw 87. Um, they want to believe their kid has a pop time of, you know, one seven when there's not a major league catcher that has that pop time, but this 14 year old kid from Idaho has it. Um, you know, it's, it's insane. They'll, they'll believe what they want to believe. And they don't want to admit that they, no one's going to admit that they're wrong. Even these people who are, who are pushing that miles per hour in their training, look at your wreckage of the wrecked arms. Look at how many top pitchers before they even get to the major leagues before they sign a contract or in the minor leagues, how many have experienced that? You could almost set your watch or set your calendar to predict when these breakdowns are going to happen. There's, you know, if you look at the, the like I, I always go back to the history of what great pitchers accomplished, certainly those guys burned out, but they burned out after being a lot more productive than, the pitchers of today. There's a look at the the I forget. I looked recently. If you look at the the active, um, the leader of, of wins, active wins in baseball. You're I don't think anybody alive today that is a, a young baseball fan is ever going to see a, a 300 game winner again. Whereas how many did we see in our time? Because guys had longevity. They knew how to pitch. They pitched deep into games. They had. You go back. I would anyone who who thinks they're a baseball fan or is a baseball fan, go back and look at some of the greats, and even the guys who were good in an era may not even be a Hall of Famer. And look at the innings they pitched and the productivity they had, and the differences in that versus what you see today. Where you're lucky if a guy could get six innings. It, it's I don't know. It, it's it, and no one admit no one uh, admits to their mistake. I think that's. The biggest thing, and that's in all of these sports, the injuries in football, the injuries in other sports that, that instead of criticizing the way these athletes have been prepared, you have this ridiculous load management scheme, which is just prolonging the inevitable. No, I, I couldn't agree more with you in that regard. And with the, you know, you, you talk about wins and, and innings. Now pitchers are, if they go five, that's a lot. And that's been accepted. One of those things hasn't been challenged. Uh, these kids are growing up in, a, in an era where they go play travel ball on a weekend and they, you know, their, their coach is trying to win a, a little ring. So rather than teach a kid how to throw six, seven innings properly with fastballs, they've got kids breaking off, you know, sliders and curves and slurves and whatever else. And none of their are all just spinners, but they're jacking their arms up and they'll throw two innings on Friday morning or two innings on Two innings on Saturday morning, two innings on Saturday afternoon, two innings on Sunday, two innings in the championship game Sunday night. So the kid's throwing eight innings over a 24-hour period broken up like that, and somehow they're justifying in their minds that's better for the kid's arm than throwing six innings in one shot. And uh, these are tournament directors making money off that. These are parents not asking questions, and these are adults trying to win little rings thinking that so they can have the greatest 14-year-old team of all time. And yeah. we're seeing it in our major league system right now. These kids aren't trained mentally or physically to throw more than, you know, four innings. And and the thing is, they're ruined from it. They're not just not successful. It's not like it's a era in strategy which results in lack of success. This is this is a ruination 
of, of a healthy body. And it's because, again, it, it, it might seem harsh. I think it's people don't understand. People are arrogant. You know, we, we've seen, and I don't want to get into a deep philosophical discussion, but what we've done is we've put, man has taken over the central position of what used to be taken by whether you believed in God or some religion or there was just some other power at work, whether it's nature, whether whatever, whatever it is, we've now got into a space where man is the center of everything. And whether it's the guy in government, whether it's the strength coach, whether it's the person that's going to tell you how to run your life, they've become the most important thing. And rather than look at the situation as, well, there's other factors here and you need to go beyond what you as an individual know and think that because we're at 2023, we're smarter than the people that did what we did in 1953 or uh, 1053 or BC. You know, that's one of the, the, the conceits of our modern society civilization is we think we're smarter than everybody that came before us because we progressed. Well, I'll use the example of Jesse Owens versus Usain Bolt that was done by uh, David Epstein that showed that when you accounted for the differences in the track surface, the starting blocks, the shoes, and the timing mechanism, there was barely an eye, uh, a blink of an eye in the times between Bolt and Jesse Owens. So really, what are what is your training doing? The, the emphasis of training has become these people who say, yeah, I'm going to make you X, Y, and Z, which is total BS. What people in the, the conditioning field should be saying is, we're going to make you resilient so your sport coach can depend on you to be there every day without a boo-boo here, without another strained forearm, without a strained lat, without a strained calf, but you're going to be able to go out and do what you need to do every day. And I don't care what you bench. I don't care what your 40 time is. I don't care what your vertical jump is because no one cared what Pete Rose's vertical jump was. No one cared what a lot of what Larry Bird's vertical jump was or his 40 time was. So at the end of the day, we've gotten people that are too self-important and they're putting themselves in the middle of this and they're not viewing what they're doing critically. Yeah. Well, they're, these teams are paying for it too. They're, they're taking these arbitrary tests and you, know, you brought up the, the, the running in baseball, for instance, they run a 60 yard dash in a straight line. There's nothing that's 60 yards in a straight line, maybe an outfield catch. That's kind of far to run for a catch, but um, you know, first to third is, is an angle and that's six. That's, that's the, the most more second to home. And that, that's what's got to be time. The guys that are the fastest in a straight line aren't necessarily the fastest when there's got to be a, that left-hand turn uh, come by because that goes into base running a little bit. And you've hit on some of the combine stuff. The only thing I've heard, and maybe you can, you can address this, uh, I've heard that the, the shuttle run is the, is the best um, judge for who's, who's the most skilled or the most ready athlete. I disagree because that's a learned that's a learned skill. So these kids now know that they the kid at 12 years old is going to run that same shuttle run when he's at a camp when he's looking to get a Division One scholarship. So here's the problem, in my opinion, with all those combine drills. They're they're it's like if you just study the SAT, these SAT a lot of these SAT prep courses now are just giving you practice tests, practice tests. There's no knowledge that's being imparted on these students it's just learn how to take the test we have a whole generation of athlete that's learned how to take these tests the, if the nfl combine really wanted to be clever and really wanted to be challenging any of these sports you don't tell your athletes what you're going to do why why should you know what i'm going to do do you know exactly what you're going to do on every play and every game no on every pitch does the center fielder know if it's going to be hit over his head to the right over his head to the left is, is he going to have to come in? Is he going to have to field the ball and throw a guy out? So those combine drills should be, here's 10 of them. We might do, we're going to pick four of them when you get there. So you, you're not going to be able to have these guys who have a script and they know they do the 40 and then they do the shuttle and then they do the vertical. And, and the NFL combine is the worst at it. 
Yeah. I think the way you the way you describe it is great. It, it, it kind of parallels our education system. It's, it's very good at getting people to impart knowledge, uh, but not great at facilitating creativity, genius, and, um, I guess a little wisdom, uh, but competency at the very least. So it's, it's a great point you make there. And you said you thought the vertical leap was probably the best innate, uh, the best. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, well, is there, are there some technique issues, but I think, yes, sure. But I think if you took, I'm going anecdotally, but I'm going on 50 years of anecdotes from kids that I played with, people that I've trained, kids that I've coached. You don't have to tell a kid what's in, whether it's whether they can touch the rim or not. Stand under the rim and try to touch the backboard or try to touch the net or try to touch the rim. Every athlete intuitively knows how to do that. Whereas the 40, I believe me, working with people who have had to go to combines, the 40 is also much more mental. You have to worry about the technique coming out of the starting blocks. There's so much to it that if you wanted to have a quick and easy assessment, do the vertical jump. Uh, here's a story. So when I went to one of my coaching uh, – actually, no, it was not a coaching clinic. It was at the National Strength and Conditioning Association had a um, had a program they were going to introduce, and we could go into the details of that. That was another interesting story. But I went out to Colorado Springs and got to meet Boyd Epley, who is one of the fathers of the profession. And he was at Nebraska when Nebraska was Nebraska. And again, let's who yes, there was all performance enhancing drugs being used at all of these places. So get that out of the way. But he said they would have a um, again, not that it was promoted, but it, there, there's an understanding that athletes have used performance enhancing drugs for at least 70 years. So let's get that out of the way. They would have a day at the University of Nebraska where they would bring in uh, 200 athletes. And some of them were athletes they recruited, but they had a certain amount of spaces that they held for athletes that presented that day. And what they meant by that was they would test everybody in the vertical. And if they had X amount of kids, say five or six kids that they really didn't have on the radar, but jumped over a certain height in the vertical, their feeling was they could find a sport for that kid. And they would offer those kids scholarships, whether it was track, whether it was uh, volleyball, what, whatever the sport, whatever the body type was, they would offer. And they felt that that was the best way. And I, I've seen it anecdotally myself that the vertical jump is the best way. Now there's something called the Seavers formula, which allows you to take a kid, you know, everyone thinks of the vertical jump. It's this long, lean, you know, 185, 205 pounder that can jump through the roof. Well, what about the, the powerhouse 260 pounder who's jumping, maybe not jumping 40 inches, he's jumping 27 inches. Well, there's the Seavers formula allows you to take the body weight of an individual, put it into a formula, and you come up with a power number. And what you'll find is that, I'm just going off the top of my head, but I could give you more details if we want next time. You could take that 260-pounder who's jumping 25 inches, actually has higher power output than the 195-pounder that's jumping 38 or 40 inches. So it allows you to equalize for an athlete's size and to get an appreciation for the power output that they have. And that would, you know, when you, we were talking the sport of football, where there's such a discrepancy between, you know, a, a slot receiver and a lineman, and that would be an interesting thing to use for football. I would imagine they must dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've done it with uh, with my high school athletes. One of the years, probably five years ago, I had a group, a couple of really good, well-built, linemen that weren't division one kids but that were your typical high school linemen you know most people don't realize you watch these high school games on espn and you're you're getting the elite of the elite most high school you go to a good even in new jersey which is not new jersey i would say is the next level after florida california texas pennsylvania i'm and excuse me if i'm leaving someone out i'm not saying new jersey's there with right there. I'm saying New Jersey is there with that second tier. So if someone that's got more knowledge than I do as to really watch the first tier, 
I'll say that New Jersey is in that second tier. You go to a really good high school game in New Jersey, it's a public school game, you're going to rarely see that impressive D1 size, even uh, even the subdivision, the champion subdivision size lineman. You have a lot of kids that are six foot 205, six foot 220, six one, you know, 220. Those kids, when you test them, if they're really good athletes, you're going to have a very high power output that could exceed what your lighter kid is that jumps. So I, I think it's great for a high school athlete, for a high school program, for a youth program, middle school program to use that, that formula if you have a valid method for measuring vertical. Like, and it's called the Seaver formula? Yeah, Seaver's formula. I can, Seaver. I'll send that to you. I'll put that in our show notes. I like that. I That's uh, that's my nugget of the day right there I picked up. But I like it too, and I agree with you with New Jersey. It's I, I recruited at uh, high levels for two college sports with basketball and baseball. And you, you hit the ones right on the head. I mean, you can go right with the political maps. You go California, Texas, Florida. Ohio is in there um, with with really good talent. And then um, New Jersey, I always said pound for pound geographically because it's a small state in terms of geography, but it's packed with people pound for pound. It's, it's, it's the best. It's the, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's the highest concentration of talent of any state. And, and I want to uh, real quick. I want to correct it's Sayers. I'm correct. I'm confusing my great favorite athletes, Tom Seaver. It's not Tom Seaver. It's Gail Sayers. It's, it's not named after them, obviously, but Sayers, it's the Sayers yeah. formula. I'll correct that. So, I'll send it to you, but again, not to cut you away, but you got to convert everything to the metric system and then it gives you the number. So, uh, so that's just a little thing, but yeah, I mean, I think it's super important to have other ways to, uh, to look at those numbers. There's not, I, I've been trying to find a broad jump formula because I think the broad jump is another great, uh, easy, it's easier to measure. But uh, it's there's not a same for, the same formula for that. So you, you had hit me on one more. Uh, you know, you send me a bunch of articles every week, you, and you had touched on this earlier. And I obviously sidetracked you to this, which I think was interesting for our audience to find out. But um, you, you you shot me a note on a lineman, another silly injury. I think it was a Giants lineman, if I wasn't mistaken. Do you recall? Yeah, it was a torn. We get we're, we get these torn triceps. They become torn triceps and torn pecs are becoming commonplace, like the, the torn Achilles. That is, again, uh, I, I think it's an indictment of training. It's uh, the type of injury where, and again, you don't they're, don't, they're not telling you if it's the actual muscle that's tearing or the tendon. Usually it's the tendon from my experience. And that is just a flat-out example of guys are getting too big. It could be an indication of not only just poor training, but performance enhancing drug use because what happens is the muscles get bigger the connective tissue does not get stronger unless you're using these new generation of uh peds which i would like to tease that we're going to talk about in the next show uh but yeah i think you see keep your eyes on your local team uh, that was one of the first injuries of the first days of training camp here one of the new york giants starting or i'm sorry prospect lineman prospect draft picks towards tricep so, yes. yeah, so just look at that over time and you'll see those injuries are way too common. Yeah. And I'm looking back in the notes, we were talking 300 game winners. The last 300 game winner was Randy Johnson. Well, so- and I'm glad you brought that up because I went and looked at the active. So you're not, you, you will not see a 300 game winner. Uh, I will say now that if you're in your 20s, in your lifetime, you'll never see 300. And actually, we're going to coin a phrase, Dave. Um, 200 is the new 300. Because you've got Verlander, Granke, and uh, Verlander, Granke, Scherzer, Kershaw, yeah. all over 200. You have Adam Wainwright, who's got 198. He's 41. You have Cole Hamels, who's 39 and has 163. Garrett Cole at 32 has 140. Johnny Cueto is in there, 143. Your Madison Baumgartner, he's done. He's got 134. And I, I loved, I loved, and I'm saying it in a past tense because I think he's done, uh, Jacob deGrom. When he would pitch, it's must-see. 
baseball, but he's got 84 wins. He's 35 years old. He's pitched 10 seasons. He's got 84 wins. So we have to tap the, these current fans have to tap the brakes a little bit because it, if you want to say he was briefly the best at what he did in this era, you, 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 you win the argument, but he's not a great, he's not an all time great. Just you can't be, you can't have 84 wins in 10 years and be a great. Yeah. And I wonder too, like we had obviously one of our co-hosts is Jim Cott on Cott's corner. He was a recent inductee into the hall of fame. As we get further and further away from that generation that were workhorses that would throw 300 plus innings, um, you know, would, would go deep into games. Uh, maybe the next guy in line could be a guy like Tommy John, who's got, you know, through for, I mean, he, he threw for 25 years and he has close to 300 wins. I think it's 290. I think it's in the 290s, 298 maybe. But he also had a, a, a ton of no decisions. But that's a guy who wasn't going out throwing four or five innings. He was throwing, you know, seven, eight innings a, a night. And there's that surgery we talk about. He was, uh, if, if not a baseball contributor, at least a contributor to the game in another way. But I would think somebody like that would be further appreciated as we get further and further away from guys. Absolutely. Even qualifying. You know, the, 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 big, the big argument, you know, we used to have with my group was Don Sutton. He was, oh, he's just a compiler, but he compiled, I think, 324 wins. So you, you, that's amazing. And again, in context of today, uh, we'll leave, let's let the young baseball fans out there, if you don't know who Warren Spahn is, look up his statistics. He has an amazing stat line to sum up his career. And just look him up, and we'll talk about that next week. We're going to tease that, Dave. We're going to talk next week about this, this new generation of PEDs, and we're going to talk about some of these statistical greats. And we'll also discuss a little bit about some of these other drugs that people are taking without hesitation when you may, might want to give pause to what you're putting into your body. No, I think that's a great one. And what's what's interesting, I mentioned Cott and Warren Spahn was Jim Cott's mentor um, when that's he came through. So well, it's, a, it's a good one. So well, Sal, thanks again. Appreciate the efforts you put into your show. I think we have a very sophisticated audience. Uh, you know, I was teasing with the violin earlier. I was kind of giving it back to one of our audience members who was giving it to me in a good way. But, you know, our, our audience appreciates the intelligence of your show and all our shows and appreciate the effort you give to the, the network. And this is episode 242, The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Uh, Sal, remind them how they can find you on the, on social. Uh, Dave, uh- I've been bad this summer. I took a month off uh, of social media, but uh, best place will be on uh, Instagram at, at Coach Sal's Playmakers. I, you'll get a good idea for what I do with my clients. I will be back after a month hiatus next week and start putting some new stuff up, so you can check it out. Awesome. And next week we teased already, we'll talk about some of the all-time greats that, that are called quote-unquote stack compilers, but develop an appreciation for how long it takes or the type of energy, health, and consistency it takes to achieve those numbers. And then we'll also get into PEDs next week as well. So with that, Real Voices of the Game, 242 episode, a hot corner with Coach Sal signing off. Sal, thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate what you do. Thanks, Dave. Have a great weekend.